You're listening to the BJJ Globetrotters Pirate Radio Podcast, brought to you from St. Bart in the French West Indies. We talk jiu-jitsu, traveling, and people who do things a bit different in life. I am your host, Christian Graugard. Hello everyone and welcome to the BJJ Globetrotters Pirate Radio Podcast. This is episode 9. Um, we're closing in on 10 episodes, which is, I don't know if it's impressive or not, but uh, I think it's pretty good from a little kind of side project uh, to uh, doing close to 10 episodes is uh, something that I'm very, uh, very satisfied with. I know a lot of podcasts uh, uh, have like a new episode every week or twice a week or something, but I'm really not planning on doing that. I think uh, I kind of like this, the slow pace of this and like once a month or something uh, I'll do an episode and that's a, that's a frequency that fits my, my life pretty well in my schedule. Um, right, so for this episode I have an interview with, uh, with an old friend of mine, Mike Sweeney from uh, Canada. Um, he's a guy who uh, I met through... Um, traveling and training like many years ago when I when I started doing this um, I went to a few uh, training camps uh, straight blast gym training camps in um, Portland Oregon back when I was like 20 years old or something 2001 2002 I started doing that and uh, I met this guy Mike and um, at some point uh, shortly after I quit my office job and I I was wondering what to do so I thought I'd better go travel somewhere and see the world and Mike was the first guy to invite me to uh, to come visit his place. So, um, yeah, off I went. I, I spent uh, a week or two in Canada or something with him. And uh, and it was a great experience for me, especially being young, really shy about training and people. And I was very not very confident speaking English. And uh, um, so it was... Um, it was very nice for, for someone to, to kind of take me in like that. And uh, it was really the beginning of, of my whole PGJ globetrotting uh, life, so to say. So Mike has also uh, been doing some really interesting things, uh, such as sell everything to buy, uh, buy a boat and learn to sail and sail for years and then sell that to get on a bicycle and try to ride from, from uh, California down to... Uh, southern tip of, of Argentina, amongst other things, and doing all this with his uh, wife, Rebecca. Um, and they've definitely been kind of a, an inspiration for me throughout the years, um, following their adventures and, and kind of seeing other people do things that I I didn't really see many people do. So uh, without further ado, here is the interview with Mike, and uh, I hope you'll enjoy it. Live from uh, British Columbia to um, my basement with um, geckos and um, my neighbor flushing the toilet. Um, I have Mike from, um, originally from Canada, right? Yes, right. and that's where I am now too, but that's easy. yeah, a different part of Canada. Right. Um, Mike is an old friend of mine um, who has been doing a lot of crazy things in life uh, so far, a lot of 
kind of crazy pro uh, projects that I haven't seen a lot of other people do. So I thought it would be interesting to have you on the on the podcast for uh, for a little chat. Um, I wrote down a few things, but I have no idea where this is going to take us as usual. So do you want to introduce yourself really quick, Mike? Sure. Just like super brief. Yeah, as, as Christian said, um, I'm an old friend of his. My name is Mike Sweeney. Um, we met in the martial arts world. I'm originally from uh, Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Perfect. Um, all right. Before we start, let me just let me just quickly go through this list because when we talked about about doing this this interview or whatever it is, um, I asked you really, can you just briefly write down all the all the stuff you've been doing recently? Uh, because I haven't been following a hundred percent. So, admittedly, um, I'll just quickly go through it. Um, ran a martial arts school from for twenty years, something from eighty-seven to. 2009, um, sold everything, bought a, a sailboat. We'll get back to all the details later. Sailed from Canada to the Caribbean, right, for a few years, three years. Worked on boats, bought a new boat to sail to Patagonia, didn't work. Started riding a bicycle from California to Patagonia. Nice, we'll get back to that. Uh, flew back to Canada, now working uh, at some kind of resort thing. Is that kind of correct of what you've been doing, spending the last like 10 years doing? That Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Okay, right. Um, right, so let's get through it. Um, how did we even meet? I don't even remember. Did we meet at one of the, the old straight blush gym camps somewhere? Yeah, I think I think actually it was uh, probably in Portland, Oregon. I think we met at one of the straight blush gym camps, um, either at a camp or when we all got together to... Uh, Film some videos, I think, out in Portland. Oh, that's right. We did the videos there. Yeah, yeah. I flew over. This, this, this was the very early days of my BJJ globetrotting back in like 2001, 2002 or something. And, yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I, I remember Matt came to Denmark. Someone invited Matt to Denmark to teach, and it was like, holy shit, you can, you can wrestle? <laughs> like, we were all so super impressed by this jiu-jitsu stuff. So me and... Uh, did you ever meet my friend Kenneth, the, the Danish guy? Um, Probably not. I don't. I don't know. Oh, Maybe. Yeah. So we went to Portland for two weeks doing that camp. That might have been when I met you. Yeah. And uh, it was only shortly after that I I remember I quit my job and started to do the the gym and and I was thinking shit I I don't have a job or anything to do what should I do I can do anything I want and uh, obviously the first the first idea was to just travel somewhere to see the world and train jiu-jitsu this i was like 20 years old at this point or 21 or something and i don't even know how we got to talk about it but you were the first guy to invite me so uh so i went from denmark to kingston it was pretty far mike you, you hadn't really prepared me for that <laughs> i yeah i remember the uh i remember the trip from the airport to kingston <laughs> And you were shocked that people in Canada actually drive that far because we probably in Europe, we would have driven through uh, four or five different countries. But, you know, that's a status quo for Canadians. It's funny because it's true, because, you know, you must you must remember uh, this is Christian, like 20, 20 years old, never really traveled outside of Europe. You know? And uh, I was thinking, OK, cool, I'll just fly there. The, the flight was like it was really long because I had the worst layovers. And then when I landed, I was like, oh, I'm here. And you're like you pick you guys pick me up, and uh, and then you're like, oh, it's gonna be like four hours or something. 
<laughs> I just couldn't believe it. You know, four hours you can cross Denmark like three times. So, but that was Christian out seeing the seeing the big world for the first time. That was a lot of fun. I actually, I do. I remember your your uh, shock at the whole length of the drive thing very well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm traumatized. I hate sitting in cars now. I mean, maybe that's why, because I was I was shocked by that. Anyway, I stayed with you guys for what like a week or something, and uh... yeah, I think so. To be honest, uh, that was uh, it was so long ago that the details are uh, are vague. But uh, I'm sure we had a fantastic time. I remember you guys broke like 15, uh, what do you call them, like blenders, because you did, you, you, you were making uh, daiquiris after training every day. <laughs> Doesn't everybody do that? <laughs> well, I didn't know at the point, you know. I was, <laughs> I was young and very shy, and I, I wasn't comfortable with English at all. And like, I remember I, we came home from training, and I was like so dehydrated. And you were like, hey, let's have let's make cocktails <laughs> i was like okay sure oh my god i had the worst headache but i couldn't tell you because i was i was so um i was so uh, shy about it anyways i had the best time ever we, we went out in like i remember we just hiked somewhere out in nature and we did some visited your 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 parents or rebecca's parents i don't remember oh that's right you know what i totally forgot about that true that too we uh yeah, we went out and we went hiking with um, Rebecca's parents. That's right. And, you know, I you remember, like, maybe I didn't really hear about it, or maybe you didn't tell me, but you were like, one day, you're like, hey, okay, we're going to Rebecca's parents. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Am I going? I didn't really know. I, is it far? I think in the town or something. <laughs> like, well, of course you're going. It's like it's like a six-hour drive. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> it was pretty far, wasn't it? It it was yeah, that is pretty far actually. Yeah, we were de we were definitely uh, way in the outback there. I remember, yeah, we went up and found uh, had you uh, lost in the woods uh, by yourself uh, taking pictures of nature, whatever you found. Right. Anyway, it was a great experience for for me as a as a twenty one year old, and I would I'll take this opportunity now a little bit late to thank you for for the invitation. It was uh, I was uh, I was out there growing up doing these things so, so that, was, that was really nice <laughs> anyway shortly after shortly after i visited you guys um you told me uh we're gonna sell everything we own the gym oh you ran a gym full-time right that's your that's your job yeah that was that was uh that was my business from 87 till 2009 so like 23 years right both you and rebecca uh were slash are black bells and rebecca was was competing in professional mma as well right do you remember that's that, right? right yeah she, she was the second female black belt in the country and um had a couple of uh, pro mma fights of which she won both of them right yeah you guys were pretty active and then suddenly i hear that okay you're gonna sell everything you own uh to buy a boat and I, you didn't did you, did you not even do i remember this right you didn't even know how to swim or something it was like it was like that level no, I still don't know how to swim. I'm, I'm very bad at swimming, and we didn't. We definitely didn't know how to sail. We took like a, like a week long course. This is how this is how you sail. We bought a boat and just kind of figured it out as we went along. Okay, so so walk me through this whole crazy project because this is this is not just like, okay, we read a book one day and then okay, we're gonna buy a boat. Let, let, let me hear the story of, of like how this actually came about. 
Well, our, our standard story is that uh, you may have heard people warn you about drinking alcohol in hot tubs. Well, we had a hot tub at our house, and after one too many bottles of wine sitting in our hot tub, we came up with the idea that we were going to do something different, sell our house, sell the gym, sell everything we own, buy a boat, and go to the Caribbean. Because it was, I think it was, it was cold out at that point, and we were kind of sick of uh, sick of winter weather. We wanted to go someplace warm, and the idea of having a having a boat that you could live in and travel on sounded like a good idea to us. And the thought, the fact that we didn't know how to sail, that didn't really seem like much of a stumbling block for us. So, where did you go from there? What's the process from what's the process from beer uh, from wine and hot tub to actually uh, you know departing day one on the boat? Well, the funny thing is, is that we on that same night after again we were kind of at least partially intoxicated, we came up with the idea that, or we thought we thought at least that it would be kind of cool if we documented the whole process because at the time we thought it was quite a novel thing. We've since learned that, Hey, lots of people travel on sailboats. So it's not, it's not quite as exciting as maybe we thought it was at that, at that particular time. But, um, I think at that time, like maybe like at 11 o'clock at night, I think I, I registered a domain name zero two cruising, uh, com with the, with the idea that we'd have a, a blog and start, writing down everything that we did to um, get us from where we were to the Caribbean. And um, as I said, we didn't know how to do it. I think within a couple of days, I, I did some online research, found a, found a place that would give us a kind of a live aboard course for a week. So we, over Christmas holidays, we flew down to uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, and uh, did like seven days on a boat, came back. We thought that was all fantastic. We didn't die. And we put we put our house up for sale like like within a day, um, thinking that it would actually take, you know, nine or ten months to sell the house. Well, as it turned out, we had an offer like on the house right away. The very first people who looked at it bought it, wanted to buy not just the house but all the furniture that was in it. All right. Within a couple months, we were homeless. Did they buy all your blenders as well? Uh, I think we broke all those. I think probably during your trip, I think we broke, we wore out, we wore them all out. But, um, so yeah, we were, we were essentially, uh, we were homeless after a couple months because we, we hadn't yet even bought a boat. And so we lived out of a closet in our gym because we hadn't yet sold the gym. So we, we packed up all the stuff that we didn't sell into a little closet in the gym. Didn't tell anybody. None of our students really knew. Um, the end of uh, end of classes, we'd lock the door, open up the closet, bring out a mattress, and yeah, like we lived in the gym with our with our ninety five pound German Shepherd, who uh, you know we still had at that time as well. So. Did you did you when 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 you started to execute this and you suddenly were homeless? Did you already have kind of an idea that whether or not you could even sell the gym or get rid of it or what to do with it? Well, that was def that's definitely the trickiest piece of the puzzle because, um, you know, as you know, and, and probably most people can imagine, um, a martial arts gym is not, it's not like selling a convenience store with a, with a, you know, with a bunch of inventory. It's a very personality driven business. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the gym was us. So the only, the only people that, we knew could could effectively run that would be one of our students and and you know one of our higher ranking students and so we had people in mind that we 
we hoped to be able to sell it to, but it's still, to, and, and ultimately it, it ended up being that we, we did make a deal with, um, with our top student and the business ended up transferring to, to him, but that still took, it took a lot longer to put together than it was to just sell our house, for example. Right. right. I remember, um, I remember I was teaching a class when I was there and actually there was a guy, I just did the a camp in the US uh, a few weeks ago. Some guy said, uh, this guy says, hi, he trained with you in, in Kingston like 15 years ago. And obviously I don't remember who it was, but I remember exactly what I was teaching, that I was teaching the reverse uh, butt drop pass, which I still kind of pull off sometimes. And every time I do it, I just think about training in your gym and you know what i want you know what i remember i remember all the nice frame pictures you had on the walls of, of you like back in the 80s in your karate like high kick uh, poses <laughs> and your mustache it's amazing mike it's amazing you need to post all these pictures i need copies of them <laughs> i was I like think, wow I this is I a real do. it was like walking into fucking cobra kai <laughs> it was very nice it's funny how you mentioned that you just registered the domain the same the same night because I think that's I don't know we probably talked about this before but I think that's, that's a technique I've used a lot every time I had an idea or something the moment I registered domain if I do that right away it's kind of it feels real you know if, even though it's obviously not but if you have like a, a domain name and like an empty WordPress page then you kind of you kind of uh, promise yourself you got to do something about it right uh it's true. And, and, you know, the funny thing about that blog is that we, I started writing in the blog like almost immediately, but because our plans weren't public, in fact, we, we kept them secret for months and months. Um, the early posts in the blog never had any photographs of us and they, I never actually used our real names. It was only after I made an announcement to the students probably, you know, five or six months later after we had, you know, actually had a real plan for the gym that I went back and edited all the posts um, in the blog to include our names because I didn't want someone doing some random Google search mm. and finding out that, hey, you know, the, uh, the instructor is going to leave. What are we going to do? I didn't want everyone to freak out. Did they call you sensei because of those pictures? Um, yeah, originally <laughs> they did. I've always wanted that. Some still do. Anyway, um, you took swimming lessons or something. I remember, and then you you just how long did it take before before you actually like got the boat in the water? That took took a while, right? Um, yeah, like I mean, we originally came up with the idea I think in October, and we didn't buy a boat, uh, get a boat until kind of like July first. So uh, and. Our our plan was to sail to the Caribbean, um, but the the gym. By the time we bought the boat, we still actually hadn't sold the gym yet. So we decided to alter our plans and live on the boat in Kingston um, for an entire year, minus the six months or so that it snows, of course. Uh, so, but that that was good. I mean, we we uh, we were able to get out on Lake Ontario and do some, some sailing, uh, before we, uh, went off and, uh, you know, killed ourselves in the, in the ocean. All right. What? Okay. So, I mean, it's a jujitsu podcast after all. So I have to ask, like, at this point you, you knew you were going to give up training pretty much for 
X number of years that you're going to be sailing or whatever you end up doing. But how, how was that decision even? Because you're like pretty deep into it. I mean, you're very involved in jiu-jitsu and MMA and, and your, your academy. And you, I guess you were training a lot. And... That was definitely a concern. And, and you know, I'll, I'll admit today that it's one of the things that um, was toughest for us. Uh, but we actually did bring our jiu-jitsu geese with us um, onto the boat. In fact, I mean, we you you probably remember Christian Montez. We oh, yeah. when we, well. we sailed down to New York City, we got to uh, to train with him. When we got to St. Martin, we hooked up with the uh, jiu-jitsu uh, school in uh, St. Martin. Um, so there were some times when we were able to train, but obviously nothing like you know, the three or four hours a day that we were doing when we were running a gym. Right. I still hope actually now that we're back in Canada, it's on our agenda to get back into training. I mean, we like, we, we miss it that much. Right. Yeah. Because it wasn't like you were just kind of, uh, at some kind of hobby level or something. I mean, this was what you did, right? I mean, and, and full time even. Yeah. And you know, the good part about it, um, is, you know, even though we actually haven't been training, we still have so many friends that are in the in the jujitsu community that we communicate with on a regular basis. Um, yeah, I mean, we're still we're we're hoping that um, we're going to be able to get back uh, involved with the jujitsu uh, family again. Did you um, was this like did it take any convincing from either of you to, to make this decision or were you both like, let's just do this? You know, it's it's so funny. I mean, Rebecca and I are are like one and the same. So, you know, people always say, Oh, did it take, did you have to convince your wife? Right. Rebecca's, you know, as hard as hard you, as you know, Rebecca's as hardcore as anybody. She's, uh, she's always up for a challenge. So, um, no, it took no convincing whatsoever. Right. That's, that was the answer I expected anyway. So anyway, so, so you left, uh, after, uh, some preparations, uh, you finally left Canada for, uh, for the Caribbean. And uh, how how did it go? I mean, it took uh, you still for a while before I before I got on the boat. Right, we'll get back to that. But let's hear the story. Uh, yeah, we spent you know a, a year or so in uh, Canada on our boat, um, kind of trying to figure out how to learn to sail. But we were still pretty new at the time, so uh, the whole trip south was a huge learning experience. Lots of trial and error, more error than uh, we would have liked. Um, we uh, sailed across Lake Ontario, um, went down through the canal system to New York City, where we got to meet up with uh, our friend Christian, like I mentioned, do a bit of jiu-jitsu. Um, from there, we followed the coast of the United States um, down through the Intracoastal Waterway and then made our, our first overnight sail um, to the Bahamas. Um, lots of drama with that. So it's a trip that probably should take eight hours. It took us 14. We tore our sail, um, but we made it there in, in basically in one piece. Um, and then over the next few months, kind of island hopped our way down to the Grenada in the Southern Caribbean. How long did you sail the Caribbean for? Um, well, I think we were there seven years in total. Um, we had you come to visit, um, I think... It, if it wasn't our, if it wasn't our, was it 2010? No, there was 2011. 2011. Okay, so that was our second year in the Caribbean, 
Um, yeah, I remember we met you in the in the Virgin Islands, and, and uh, uh, we picked you up in Tortola, and I, I, I'm not sure how much sleep you had. I think it was like none, and we immediately whisked you away to a uh, a full moon party where uh, there was probably one too many cocktails uh, served. He was rum and coke. I remember way too way too well. I remember that flying triangle I hit you with at about midnight. Yeah, I, I remember that too. We even have a picture of it. Unfortunately, it's documented. So <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the one and only time I've ever caught you. So I've got to live it up. You know, if it, if I have to get you drunk to do it, then uh, I'll do it again. I was confused about the rules. Like, could I slam or not? Like, I, I was, I didn't know. <laughs> I, I just, I just, I had to let you just go with it. I, I would say the backstory is this, this was during my, my round the world jujitsu trip and it was kind of midway through the, the whole thing. It was one, I, I remember it was one of the very first destinations that I planned because you actually came up with the, with the name BJJ Globetrotter to all the listeners, Mike coined this, <laughs> um, which became BJJ Globetrotters. But anyway, I remember I got this idea that I was going to go traveling and I immediately talked to you about it, and you're just like, "Yes, great! You have to come visit us on the boat." I remember you were the first uh, point, like pin I put on the map for where I wanted to go on that round the world trip. And we talked a little bit about like a good name and a domain name, and and uh, you suggested the PCJ Club Trot, and that kind of worked pretty well. Um, so I did this long trip, and halfway through, I came to visit you guys. But every single place I visited, and I was only every every place I was there for like two or three days, no more. And every place I came, the moment I hit the ground, people were like, "Yeah, I'm so glad you finally came. Let's go out. <laughs> Let's get drunk." And I was, you know, still <laughs> relatively young, uh, so I guess I could. I don't know how on earth I handled that. I couldn't do that today. But I was I was drunk every single week for like six months straight at least uh, doing the trip and, and in the aftermath and then I come onto the boat and it has been a quite a long trip I, I don't know I flew in from Florida I think to Saint uh, Croix yeah that's where I came in that's funny I actually sit right now and look at a map of of that island okay anyway it's on my wall I landed there then I took the ferry which was again longer than I expected and it was quite a quite a bumpy ride, um, and you guys picked me up somewhere Tortola or something. Yeah, I think yeah in Tortola exactly. It's funny enough; it's it's really not too far from uh, where I am right now. But uh, you guys picked me up. I was really tired, I'm really really tired. I remember that it was like a morning flight from Florida at like seven in the morning. I had to get up at three a.m. to drive to the airport. And yeah, immediately we sail somewhere to go to like this this party, and it was like quadruple rum and cokes all night. Um, I remember I I I was uh, steering the dinghy back to your to your boat for for a few seconds until I realized I just couldn't go straight. I was just going in circles, and I was sure it's gonna fall in the water and die. Um, but yeah, next morning, Mike, that was I I can say that hands down, and I've had many many rough hangover days, but that was the worst I ever experienced because I was also getting really seasick. Uh, so super dehydrated, super hungover and, and seasick. That was a very bad combination. But anyway, I enjoyed it. It was Well, the, fun, the, the super funny part about that is that you were determined that you were going to cook us breakfast while we were underway, which 
that I mean, that's one of the worst things you can do to go down into the galley of a sailboat while it's underway and start frying bacon or sausages or something. But you were determined to do it. And you uh, I remember you came up partway through looking kind of green. And I'm like, hey, Christian, you can't leave the stove unattended. So you went back <laughs> down and, and we were up we were upstairs laughing. And then you, you came back up, and, and I remember Rebecca took mercy on you and said, forget it, Christian, I'll, I'll, I'll look after breakfast. Because, yeah, that was absolutely the worst decision for you to do. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was definitely up there with the worst hangovers I ever had in my life. So bad, I can still feel then, it. Then I also remember that we, we took you to a bar right after that, and then there were some girls trying to flirt with you, and you were you were – they were thinking that you were very rude and uh, because you weren't having anything to do with them. I like, look, my friend is just so hungover. He can't even talk to anybody. <laughs> it was really scary too. I mean, it was like, I, I didn't, I didn't, uh, what was this, Mike? It was some, bar, was it on a boat? It was like on some, on some, like, it looked like a pirate ship. And it was like, yeah, that's eight <laughs> very Caribbean. It was like eight very Caribbean people, super drunk at like 11 a.m. That was, was that, <laughs> that the one? That bar is called the Willie T. Yeah, that's a that's a famous uh, a famous floating bar in the uh, in the British Virgin Islands. Right. Yeah, I remember it way too well. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was it was. We, we took you to all the hot spots, of course. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I enjoyed it immensely, and uh, it was my first time in the Caribbean. It was something, a place I really wanted to visit, and obviously ended up coming back quite a lot and. And uh, I think there was partly an inspiration for it to to come visit you guys there. Um, so how 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 was living on a boat in the Caribbean for seven years? I mean that's that's pretty. Uh, I mean I I know you say that other many other people do it, but for us regular people, then that that that's something. Uh, I don't know anything about it. How's life on a boat? I was there for four days. I was dying from dehydration, sun. And, uh, and and rum and well, coke. Well, obviously, the for, for hopefully for most people, the 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 day to day is not quite like that. A few days that we had with you, uh, otherwise, there you'd have a liver failure. So, um, no, I mean, uh, living in the Caribbean on a sailboat is fantastic. Um, if you know, we if we didn't like our neighbors, we just had to pick up anchor and move to another place. We uh, we got to travel wherever we want, um, with all of our stuff. Um, you know, we have to pay, you know, kind of attention to the weather. So there's a little bit of, um, of a seasonal flow, ebb and flow of where people go to try to avoid the, the hurricane, you know, the area where uh, hurricanes tend to frequent. Um, but, uh, it's great. I mean, we, and we did that on our own boat for a few years. Um, but we were, you know, we're not, you know, we're not rich. We were kind of living off our savings. So the time came where we had to earn some money. So we decided to get a job. I got my captain's license and Rebecca and I worked um, on a different boat in the Virgin Islands taking uh, charter guests, mostly mostly American guests for uh, week-long vacations, taking them pretty much to all those same hot spots in the Virgin Islands that we took you. <laughs> poor people. Poor, <laughs> poor Americans. Yeah, they, but they got to go home and uh, recover, right? So they right. only had to do that for oh. uh, a few days, just like you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that, that that leads me to to my next kind of question, and I'm sure you've answered this a million times before. But um, so how? Because people listening to this, and they're they're definitely thinking this. 
how do you finance this? Like, how do you just kind of quit your, like your, I guess you had like a kind of safe income from running your own business. You quit all that and you just finance a new life with zero income on a boat. Like, how does it work? Um, we knew right away. I mean, when we, when we planned this, we you know we're not, we're not wealthy. We're not, we're not, we don't have uh we don't have rich parents. We, we were basically living off our savings. We, we, we were working under the philosophy that, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. And we've had, we'd had too many friends, um, die suddenly at a, uh, a really young age. So we decided we were just going to live off our savings and we knew that we would have to get a job at some point in the future. We didn't really have any plan, but but we were confident that we'd figure it out when the time came and, and, we, and that, and we proved that to be true. I mean, when we, you know, we're getting to the time when it was to, we need to get a job. We just, we found work, you know, we made it happen and, and, uh, that's it. I mean, there's no, there's no real magic to it. We made uh, a tiny little bit of income from our website, but certainly not enough to, uh, support ourselves. All right. And, I'm sure that that would be the the first thing that will hold people back from from doing something like this is like, how do you deal with the uncertainty of of not like knowing what you're gonna do or what your income is gonna be? How are you gonna make a living in two, three, four, five years? Um, like, why do you think your your approach worked? Like, why do you think you just kind of jumped into it? Maybe you already answered. It, I'm not sure. Um. No, you're you're absolutely right. I, I you know I think that people are always they want to have all the answers before they start things. They want to know like, do I have enough money to so that I can live on for the rest of my life? Well, how do you really answer that question? And you're right. I mean, everybody wants to know what it costs. Mm -hmm. um, but the but the real truth is that what it cost um, us is not what it would cost you or somebody else. And that's why I've never really shared, you know, a dollar figure because it's it's kind of it's kind of unrealistic. I mean, if you want to eat at restaurants every night and and party like a rock star, well, then it's it's going to cost you a lot of money. If you uh, have a little boat and it's it's quite simple and you make sandwiches for lunch and you know cook your own food, well, then obviously it's going to be cost you a lot less. Um, we've got we've got very wealthy friends. Um, that we've met in the boating community and we've got other people that are, that live quite simply. And the fact of the matter is, is that those boats anchor in the same places. They get the same view every day. Um, so, you know, you could just kind of make, make it work for whatever your income is. Um, as for what's going to happen afterwards, I mean, you, you just have to have the confidence that in, in yourself that you'll, figure it out because I mean, even if you have a job today, unless you're working for the government, you know, is it really guaranteed? Right. I mean, you're self-employed. What's good. What's going to happen next year? Who knows? Right. You're just going to make it work. That's true. That's very true. Yeah. Do you think everybody could do this? Would you guys did? Um, theoretically. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if, if, if you have that, if you have that kind of confidence, sure you can. Um, it's, I mean, it's, the whole the whole sailing boating thing i mean it's it's pretty simple i mean if we could take a week of lessons and learn how to sail and then sail our own boat i mean anybody can do it um 
it's kind of just you just kind of learn as you go. Um, where a lot of people have challenges is, um, you know, in the relationship aspect mm. of being confined with their their spouse or significant other in a, you know, in a in a, in a tiny place. And, you know, a lot of people, you know, if they're their boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, they, they have separate jobs. They maybe are on different shifts. They may not really spend more than a few hours together every day. If that, um, when you're on a boat, you're there 24 seven. I mean, it's, it's pretty hard to get away from one another. (laughs) Um, so you, you need to be pretty solid on your relationship, right? Being, being confined in a boat like that. If you're, uh, if you have a good relationship, then that's going to, it's going to help it. If you have a bad relationship, if there's any weakness there, you're going to figure that out pretty quickly. <laughs> well, um, funny you should mention it because I think probably the next or one of the, uh, the, the podcast episodes in the near future is going to be, um, with, uh, two, two friends from Sweden who bought a boat to sail across the Atlantic and, uh, they only sail for like two weeks or one week. And then they found out that they just couldn't do it together. So, um, is is a longer story than that, but it's funny you mention it. That is probably that's probably way more important than the financial aspect of making it work, right? I mean, a bigger challenge probably for for most people. I I, I absolutely believe so. Yeah, I mean, you know, if you again, if you have a if you're on the same page with the person that you're spending time with, well, then you know you'll you'll make proper decisions and everything will be everything will be great and if you if you have trouble well you'll figure it out together but if you if your relationship is not solid when you run into some challenges then you're going to start blaming each other and instead of working as a team right it's it's the same as having a partner in business right i mean yeah. if everything's if everything's great well we're we're buddy buddy but when when you run into some challenges if you're if you're not if you're not uh don't have a good relationship well then yeah that's going to be a cause for problems so yeah absolutely agree so, so yeah because one thing that that i i even at some point considered uh probably uh at some at some point considered because i walked uh down at the harbor here in uh in saint bart in, in town and i saw there were like a few boats for sale and just the thought kind of crossed my mind hey should i own a boat or no i, I will definitely not have time to sail it or do anything but just the idea of you know living on a boat or sailing or something. And, and the first thing I, I, I think is like, I have no idea how that works. And I, I could, I mean, th- it seems like there's so much to learn. I was with you guys on the boat and like, ah, oh, the amount of stuff that you had to remember and do all the time and all the, 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 the rope you had to pull and all that stuff. It's like, shit, I can never learn that. It's way too much. Um, and then I think I, got, I would have to talk to some experts and I was thinking, Hey, I gotta, I would have to call Mike. And then I realized, oh, yeah, that's right. Your blog is actually called uh, Zero to Cruising because you had zero idea when you when you started, right? Am I right? Yeah, I mean, it it's really it's not as tough as you'd think. You're right. There is a lot of things to learn. I remember when we when we took that week long course, I saw before we before we traveled there, they sent an itinerary of all the things we were going to learn, and I was like, there's no way we're going to learn all those things in a week, and. You know, sure enough, by the end of seven days, we'd actually covered it all. And, you know, we were by no means experts. Um, you know, that that came only through lots of practice. But uh, yeah, it's it's really it's not a it's not that tough. You know, our motto has always been like we joke about it. it's like, well, how hard could it be? 
how hard could it be to sail a boat to the sail to the Caribbean? How how hard could it be? I mean, you just figure it out. Yeah. Well, yeah, that seems like it's a it's a general theme for your your approach to uh, to these projects, where you just kind of try and then figure it out along the way. Yeah, I mean, what else can you do, right? I mean, the the alternative is that you you try to make sure that you have all the answers, which is really an impossible task. Right. So if you're if you're waiting for that impossibility to to occur before you start, well, then you're never going to do anything. Right. You know, that'd be like, you know, you're. You would ne- you would never have done all the great things that you've done with BJJ Globetrotters if you waited till you had all the answers before you started. You know, it's always going to be there's always going to be some mystery there. You got to figure it out as you go along. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, pretty much everything has been figured out as I went along. <laughs> I don't even know what's going to happen in a few months. Um, were you were you ever in in like any like scary situations where you were afraid to be on a boat at any point? I mean, that would be something, it would be something that would scare me a little bit to be like, I don't know, big waves in the middle of the night or something like that. Yeah. There's lots of times we were scared. Um, uh, you know, one of the, one of the worst bits of weather we had was, was very early on when we were still back in the United States coming down through the, the Chesapeake Bay. Um, I remember that we got a, The weather forecast was supposed to be, you know, pretty benign and we ended up in the middle of the gale and, you know, we were, it was way, way out of our comfort zone. Now, what I, what I came to learn though, is that, you know, had those same conditions happened three years after that, we might've still been concerned, but we wouldn't have been as scared as we were because you, you know, it's like, um, well, it's the same as jujitsu, right? I mean, if you're your when you first start off you know absolutely nothing so if somebody somebody gets the mount on you or a side control you know and starts putting a little bit of pressure on you 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 kind of panic and freak out it's like oh my god i can't breathe i can't move but you know by the time you're a blue belt when that happens you know it's happened so many times that hey you don't like it but you don't freak out you're not going to you're not going to tap just because somebody has side control on you hopefully right Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, did you um, l- let's let's move on from from the boats. Uh, so you well, you actually plan to sail all the way down to Patagonia, right? Yeah. So um, you know, we had been in the Caribbean for quite some time, and um, as great as it is, we were kind of looking for uh, a different challenge. Um, so we 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 had seen some some photographs of. Uh, of the mountains in Patagonia. And we thought, wow, that'd be really fantastic to go there and see the glaciers and the mountains. And we're like, again, just like this, why don't we, why don't we get a boat and go there on our own? So we actually bought a new boat with that intention. Um, unfortunately, uh, that boat that we purchased, we found out about a month after owning it, that it had some significant problems that, were not um, disclosed to us at the time of the sale. Um, the surveyor missed it. Um, yeah, it, it, so it became a big problem, which has actually resulted in a lawsuit that's actually still ongoing. So we, uh, it's quite an unfortunate situation, but we kind of found ourselves trapped somewhat. As, as, as funny as that sounds, we were trapped on our boat in, uh, in Martinique. We, We couldn't do what we wanted to do. We couldn't sail it to Patagonia, um, but we couldn't really leave it. 
Um, so that was kind of a, it was a very frustrating time for us. And people, again, they might have a hard time imagining what that's like because we're like, hey, we're, you're in Martinique. That's like paradise. You're in the Caribbean. But whenever you're whenever you want to do something else and you're kind of stuck somewhere, um, then that becomes uh, a challenge. So it was it was frustrating for us. But at the time, we we said, hey, well, if we can't uh, sail to Patagonia, how else could we get there? And we 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 kind of it's it's funny because I'm I'm staring at your logo right now, and you have that the picture of the van on your on your logo, and that was our first idea. We're like, why don't we buy a van and we'll drive to Patagonia? And while that was appealing, we kind of felt like having a van would be a little bit like having a boat. You know, it's mechanical. There's things to fix and things break down. And we were really tired of that by that point. So then I think I saw a video on the internet about somebody who quit his job and rode a bicycle to Patagonia. And we were both like, wow, that's easy. Hey, I know how to ride a bike. I've ridden a bike when I was a kid. Why don't we get bicycles and do it? And we had no, again, we had no idea the the magnitude of the task that we were going to take on. But we were like, yeah, let's do that. We'll we'll buy a couple bicycles. How hard could it be? We'll we'll get some bikes and we'll ride to Patagonia, and that you know that became um, the starting point for our our late our most recent adventure. Right, and um, let's hear about it because that's a part of your 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 journey that I I didn't get to follow a lot on on your blog. So. Um, I know you got to write for a while, and then then you kind of it you kind of stopped. Let's uh, I, I want to hear what happened. Well, so we um, we managed to f- figure out how we could leave our boat in Martinique and just let the lawsuit run its course. And we flew to California, where our daughter lives, and we used um, her and her husband's house as our base to um, outfit ourselves for this trip. And our our initial plan was to do something that's relatively common for cycle tourists is we were going to fly to Alaska with bicycles and ride from the most northern point in North America, which is Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. And we were going to ride all the way south to Ushuaia, Argentina, the southernmost point. Um, Commonly say, and this is something people normally do. It's, uh, I mean, as, as... For a cyclist, if you're going to do it, that's kind of what you do. But uh, I know nothing about it. It's I know it sounds crazy, but it's like it's like the sailing thing. Like once you're involved in it, you realize, hey, there really is a small a a group of people. I don't know, maybe it's a hundred people a year that do it. I mean, that's a pretty small number, but it's enough that while we were cycling, you know, we we knew through social media. And people that we met in person, probably a dozen people that were doing something similar to what we were doing. Right. Um, ultimately, though, we we ended up kind of modifying that. We were um, we were in California, and we decided that we would just take the, you know, quote unquote easy route and head south into uh, Baja Baja California, which is Mexico, um, and follow this um, fairly challenging off road route. Um, that had been mapped out called the Baja Divide. Um, the And again, we, we had no idea when we started this how hard it would be. You know, we're like, well, other people have done it. We're in pretty good shape. We should be able to do it too. Um, and what 
people immediately started telling us is that we were going to die because it was summertime and, and people don't typically ride through the desert in the summertime. But again, we were like, well, you know, how hard could it be? Right. Well, you know, we'll just carry extra water. And, um, and we did it. We didn't die. Um, was it hard? Yeah, it was pretty hard and it was pretty hot, but, um, you know, it's obviously possible. Did you hate it at some point? Did you absolutely hate sitting on a bicycle? Oh, there was, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, just about every day. Um, you know, it was a, uh, it was largely a suffer, suffer fest, uh, through, uh, Baja especially, um, because it was summertime. We were in the desert. We were pretty much dehydrated for about two months. Did you dream, um, dream yourself back to like a cubicle office job? Um, no, never. Uh, you know, I never, I never wanted to do that, but you know, it's funny, you know, people say, you know, the worst, the worst day on a, on a boat is better than any day in the office or the worst day on a bike is better than any day in the office. Uh, that's total bullshit. Um, there, you know, we had a lot of good days in the office with air conditioning being nice and comfortable. There's, you know, like when you're suffering, you're suffering. However, at the end of the day, you know, when we got to pitch our tent and, and, uh, enjoy the sunset, I mean, that's, you know, it made it worthwhile. Right. So how far did you, did you make it? We rode from uh, Southern California at our daughter's house to San Jose, Costa Rica. So it's about 8,500 kilometers. That's pretty far. And then um, what happened? Why did you, why did you stop there? The, the age old thing, we ran out of money. Um, you know, again, we were, we were living on our, we were living on our savings and because we still own this boat that's in the Caribbean, we have a, most of our money is tied up in that and in this lawsuit. So, Hey, when you, when you run out of money, what do you do? You, you, uh, get a job. So we, we entertained a bunch of offers and, you know, we had the idea that people, we had some offers to go back and do the boat thing again, run charters. Um, mm -hmm. but we weren't really too interested in that. We had some offers in the United States, but, um, being that we're Canadian, um, we can't really work in a lot of these countries legally. Um, the only place we can really work legally is in Canada. So we hadn't been back to Canada since 2010. So we decided we would fly back there, um, hook up with our family and, uh, try to do something different. Um, so, so we, did, we did, did you, um, so you, you, again, you started doing the, the bicycle trip without actually kind of having, uh, a full budget or plan for the, for the whole thing? Or did you just kind of, um, hope that the, the boat thing would, would, uh, go through and, and that would fund it or how does it work? Um, a little bit of both. Um, yeah, I mean, if the, uh, if the boat issue had uh, solved itself, then there would never have been a problem. Um, but you know, the, the budget for the cycling is like budget for sailing. I mean, we, we met people who were living on, five or $10 a day. Um, but they were probably, you know, eating peanut butter sandwiches every day and, um, you know, sleeping in their tent every night. We weren't doing that. Um, we, we certainly didn't have a big budget, but we were probably, you know, a little bit, a little bit more than that. So, you know, it, uh, it wasn't a huge surprise that we ran out of money. Um, but, um, 
you know, uh, we're, you know, although we had to pull the plug before we finished our goal, uh, I, I don't like to think of it as that we quit. You know, we we have intentions. We'd, we'd love to go back and kind of pick up from where we left off. Um, and so, you know, there's no reason why we can't do that. Were you like, okay, so planning to ride a bicycle through Central and South America, uh, first question people are going to ask, uh, is that not dangerous? You know, that uh, absolutely people are going to ask that. Um, the, You know, the danger is maybe getting hit by a car. Um, and, you know, that's a, that's a, a danger that cyclists who ride on um, busy roads um, deal with everywhere, not just in Mexico or Central America or South America, but in, you know, in, in cities everywhere. Um, we were riding largely off-road, so that minimized that risk. Um, but, you know, if people are, are thinking about, uh, you know, Mexico is, uh, you know, a, a common one. People are like, oh, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get robbed or shot or whatever. And, you know, the truth is that 99.9% of the people are so welcoming and friendly. It's the same as anywhere in the world. And we learned this on the boat is that everyone in the world, almost everyone is good. And you just have to kind of expect that. So, you know, we just expected people to be good to us and they were, you know, the thing is, is that if you're not a drug dealer, if you're not a drug seller, um, if you're not a drug user, you're not a, a police officer having to deal with that kind of thing, then the danger really doesn't exist for tourists. I mean, if if the isolated situation does occur, it's so rare um, that it's it's not worth um, staying home for, really. Right. I, I totally agree. I've, I've had the, the exact same experience traveling that I think the world can look very dangerous when you sit at home and watch it on TV. But uh, the moment you get out there, you realize that anywhere you go, people are just nice. You know, like nothing really happens unless you look for it consciously or subconsciously. But nothing ever happened to me. And I was in pretty much every corner of the world being drunk and stupid, right? Well, I mean, you know, if, yeah, if you look on the news, um, hey, I mean, recently um, a couple of cyclists were killed in Mexico and that's a, and that's a, that's a horrible, horrible thing. Um, but the fact of the matter is that, I mean, people are, are shot and killed here in Canada, believe it or not. I mean, that, that happens all the time. So it, it's not a, it's not a Mexico thing. I mean, it's just, a, it's a worldwide thing. But the, but the truth is, if you look at the statistics, I mean, the vast majority of the people, and and not just statistics, but you know what we've what we've seen day to day, is that people are super welcoming um, to travelers. Uh, just uh, most people are good. I mean, if you're good, you attract that, right? Right. You're right. Probably the wor the worst thing you can do for traveling, if if it's if it's new to you, is to watch the news. Really, I mean, you should read statistics instead of reading the news because it, it and it's probably also like in in the world today. You know, everybody's connected, and whenever something happens anywhere, out of like billions of of things happening, if it's something bad, you can be sure that there are going to be. A bunch of people right there with a with a video camera in their pocket, 
in their in their smartphone and and it'll spread everywhere in the world and and um and you'll see even though the, the bad things that happen obviously it does happen it, it's 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 ext- statistically extremely rare but everybody gets to see it like it, it gets overexposed so much that um i think that's holding a, pe- a lot of people back from from traveling or traveling outside of their comfort zone you're right yeah if if uh if one bad thing happens everybody's going to know it instantly it's not like anything has changed except for the fact that people hear about it i mean right. through through you know years and years it's probably always been the same you know isolated things happen but you know hey we never really heard about it because there wasn't that um immediate ability to like post it on facebook and have millions of people share it um, but imagine social media and smartphones in the medieval times or something. I'm sure uh, there would be some pretty bad shit. There. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah, I can't even. How could you imagine that? It'd be crazy. <laughs> or even just 100 or 150 years ago. I mean, I I totally believe that the world is is uh, is only becoming a better and better place. And statistically, it is. I mean, there's there's really no doubt about it that everybody's starting to live better and like what quality of life and it's going up, poverty is going down. And, but it's very difficult to see when, when you're just constantly bombarded with like death and suffering and danger uh, in the, in the media picture. Yeah, there's absolutely. I mean, the, the first thing, I mean, first of all, we don't read the news. I mean, I, you know, we, we, we avoided at all costs. My, my philosophy is that if there's anything important enough for me to know that somebody's going to tell me, um, and with social media, yeah, I mean, uh, you really have to kind of filter what what you see because it, it can. If you focus on the wrong things, you'll never you'll never leave your house, right? Yeah. You'll you'll be afraid everybody's out to get you and uh, everybody's bad and and the, that's just not true. Did you did you at every point even even knowing all this? I mean, just like you know, that statistically, sitting in a in an airplane is one of the safest places you can be. Then you still kind of worry about if that engine explodes, you know. Uh, did, did were you ever like a little bit afraid of of heading out on that bicycle trip, going through the I don't know fucking jungle? Never, oh. no, never, not 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 even once. We never had one bad experience. I mean, we were in. I remember one little sketchy town in Mexico um, where uncharacteristically it's quite it's quite funny because i i think that most people have no idea what it's like is that you know maybe they see movies of like drunken people wandering the streets or this or that uh, but that would be me it's actually it's actually quite in in most places in rural mexico it's actually quite hard to buy alcohol i mean you go into restaurants there's no alcohol it's quite hard to actually buy it but in this one little town um they made their own kind of moonshine they call posh. And there, there was definitely an alcohol problem in that town. And I remember that we were walking back from getting some tacos and these three or four guys kind of stepped in front of us. And I just kind of laughed at them and we walked around them. And I said to Rebecca that they would have been a lot more intimidating if they weren't like four feet tall because they were all quite short and, and short and drunk. And I, I thought it was quite funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, that is... That is the sum total of the sketchy things that happened to us in Mexico. Right. So if you're sitting there, especially, I don't know where you're from, but listener, but if you sit there and, and are a little bit afraid of, of traveling, 
outside of your country or something, you know. Now you know, Mike and Rebecca, they got on a bicycle and that was the worst thing that happened in Mexico. So don't be afraid. I even got an email. I, I get emails and messages like often from well, all the time, I should say. But um, I think yesterday or a few days ago, a guy, uh, some guy wrote to me that he was considering going to the camp, but he was so scared about it, like flying from the U.S. to uh, one of the camps in Europe. He was so afraid, like an adult. And and for me, it's, it's easy to say, like, come on, dude, like, just go, you know. But uh, but obviously, there's some kind of fear, like, what are you actually afraid is going to happen? It's more like, what if I get there and I can't, you know, get around or... or talk to people or find, I get lost or something, you know, there's all these, these crazy fears uh, that you imagine in your head before you're going somewhere. And, and, and I, I remember it. I remember it from, from when I, when I did my, my first kind of early, early trips, but, um, as with many things, the moment you've done it once as something that, that seems really complicated or scary and the moment, the moment you've done it once, then it's, it's easy and you can look back and, and laugh at it. And I told this guy, like, I, I'm not sure what, what advice to give you, but I mean, just, just come on over. I'm sure you're not going to get lost, not in the age of smartphone internet. Everybody speaks English where you're going anyway. Um, and then we'll, uh, my best advice is just do it and then we'll, you find me there and we'll have a beer and laugh about how, how stupid it was you were, you were so scared about it. So, um, but yeah, I, I get that often from people. They're, they're afraid of, of traveling and um, I I think it's, as you said, like, just turn off the TV. That's probably the best advice, right? Um, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's kind of like I mean, people who are afraid to take a jiu-jitsu class, right? right. They, they, you know, what's going to happen to me? You know, uh, all these people, they know everything. I know nothing. I'm out of shape. Uh, people are going to laugh at me. I won't know what to do. And then when they get in there and they realize that, hey, everybody's actually really cool and helpful – boy, I can't believe that I waited, you know, a month, a year, five years before I ever took that first, that first step, you know, it's, and then they regret waiting all that time. So yeah, absolutely. Just do it. Right. Anyway, so uh, you ran out of money. Um, and then you took a job. Where exactly? Or what are you doing right now? Well, we, we flew back to Canada to um, a little ski town called Fernie, BC, where our, we have some family and we spent a, a month with them um, looking for work. Uh, and one of our one of our sailing friends actually um, shared a link with me on Facebook. Um, I'm not sure quite how she figured it out, but she found a, uh, a job posting for a, a couple's position to be the caretakers managers of a um, of an R, a private RV resort. Um, so given the fact that Rebecca and I had worked together in the gym and, you know, had basically spent, you know, 24 seven together for, you know, a decade and a half, right. we knew that, um, working together was something that we, we wanted to be able to do. Uh, so that sounded like a great opportunity. So we, uh, we sent in our resume, they immediately contacted us. We went out for a interview and were pretty much hired on the spot. Um, and so that is where we've been for the last two months, um, running, doing a job that again, we had, we had no idea what we were doing, but we've just kind of figured it out as we've been going along. All right. How, how did it feel to, um, I, fail is not the right 
like the right word, I know, but like when you had to kind of give up on, on some of these projects, some of these crazy ideas, you, you kind of started and it didn't work out. How, how does it feel? Because I know the fear of failure is usually the number one thing that keeps people from, from following up on, on their like dreams or ideas like this, but, but you, you did it, you did crazy things and then you, you quote unquote failed. And then what happened, Mike? Um, you're right. I mean, um, though that's, that was some tough things. I'm having to, having to change gears to, uh, you know, to have your, your intentions set on a big goal. Like, you know, we were going to sail to Patagonia. And then when we, um, we found out that there was this problem with the boat that was going to prevent us from doing that. That was, uh, that was a lot of heartache. Uh, so we came up with a new plan and that plan was to ride bikes to Patagonia. And then, yeah, we had to kind of pull the plug on that because of money. But, um, so now we're doing something different. Um, all those things do leave us with a, a little bit of regret and especially because we still have so many friends that are out there doing it. And like social media that, you know, um, it can give you that, uh, that fear of missing out. We see all the, the photographs and hear all the stories of our friends who are still out there kind of doing what we want to be doing. Um, so that's tough. I'm still I'm I'm very happy for them that they still get to do it. And I know that, you know, we still have lots of great things in store for us. And, and we don't really know, you know, where this is going to lead. The, the funny, you know, the I guess the great thing about this is that Every time we've changed gears like this, it has led us to new things that we had no idea about. I mean, had the had that sailing thing, if we had not had that problem with the boat, we never would have done the cycling thing. And that was so fantastic. I mean, that was such a such a a growth experience for us. And I mean, now we're back here in Canada. Um, we get to reconnect with some of our family. We've got a family reunion plan where everyone's coming to visit us and we're in this new part of the country that we've never had a chance to do. And we're learning so many things at this new job and we're we're kind of appreciated here for what we're doing. Um, what's going to happen next week or next month or next year? We don't know, but, you know, we're still pretty optimistic. I mean, we're uh, we haven't given up. I think now that you're saying it, I, uh, I, I think I've, I've definitely had kind of the same experience that. As you know, I've, I've, I've also kind of started a lot of ideas and projects and, you know, many of them have failed. And, and at some point you're, you're very, uh, it kind of hurts that it fails. And you also kind of told everyone that I'm going to do this and this and then it didn't work. And it was, I don't know, maybe not embarrassing, but at some point you, you kind of put it on a, on a pedestal and then it, you failed getting there. Um, and that hurts sometimes because you, you put a lot of thought and effort into it, but on the other hand, like f when you fail enough, then at some point you realize that uh, looking back, every failure uh, has been like one door closed, another door opens. And the other door is something, as you said, that I never expected. You know, I, f I fail at something that gave me some little skill or some connection or some new friends. And then everything took a, a turn in a completely different direction. And, and at some point I, I kind of realized this, that, you know, like, Really, the saying that one one door closes and another door opens is is has been incredibly true for me. And at some point, I, I kind of just trust that. Really, I I will do something knowing that it'll probably fail, but 
just with the, having faith in whenever it fails, something else will come out of it. And I think it sounds like you you had kind of the the same experience. At some point, you can you can kind of have confidence in that, even though it 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 might not work out, then it's probably going to lead to something else, right? Yeah, I I agree one hundred percent. I mean, and it's it's interesting you said about um, you know you tell all your friends that you're going to do something, and then it's hard to it's hard to change gears. It's, it's one thing. I mean. Our website was uh, was fairly popular, so we had to be kind of careful what we uh, what we what we posted online. So sometimes we'd come up with crazy plans, but we keep that to ourselves, knowing that once we put it out there to the world, then uh, we were kind of committed. Right. Um, but you kind yeah, of give, I mean, I, 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 I just, used to say you give you give the idea responsibility as soon as you tell someone, or that's 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 a point of no return when you tell, tell someone you're going to do it. You kind of give yourself responsibility to actually try at least, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you uh, you're you're putting yourself out there on the line, and for people like uh, like you or like me or Rebecca, I mean, that means something. I mean, we're uh, we're we're committed, uh, but you also then have to be ready to change gears too. I mean, life is like that, you know. If you uh, if you're if you're set on one path and you and you reach a, a roadblock, well, what are you going to do? You know, it, for us, we don't just give up and cry. I mean, we're maybe we're upset, but we we try to look for a way around it. Are you afraid to be kind of stuck in life and do the same thing all the time? People often ask, like, why did we sell our martial arts gym? Um, and I thought that was one of the coolest jobs you could ever have is that, I mean, we got to do, we got to work out all day to, to teach something that we loved. But, um, as cool as it was, um, my thinking is that if you do the same thing for more than a couple of decades, it can get a little bit old. And so, you know, we were looking for a challenge and that's kind of the, kind of what drives most of these things that we're doing is we're, we are always looking for something new. And that means we, we love to learn. And so even in this job that we're doing right now, I mean, we're learning new things every day. Um, maybe we're not, uh, we're not riding our bicycles over the mountains or sailing a sailboat in the Caribbean, but, um, it's still something, it's something new. And I, and I do have faith that, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to lead to, to good things. What that's going to be, I don't know, but um, you know, it's we're definitely not in a rut. What do, what do you think you're going to be in ten years? I, I have no idea. I would I would love to, I would love to be able to say that I have this uh, this plan all worked out. You know, a, a a one year and a five year and a ten year plan. But you know, we've we've always just kind of been winging it, and you know, we did it we did it with our gym. And we did it on the boat, and and we're doing it now. I mean, we uh, we really don't have that kind of a plan. Um, I have I have faith that uh, Rebecca and I will be doing something fun. We'll be having a good time, whatever it is. I don't know if we'll be in Canada or where we'll be, but um, yeah, I I just don't know. How old are you now? Fifty one. Fifty one. So so okay. Other fifty year olds will say like. How can you how can you not have a plan? Like, what are you going to do? What about retirement, safety, blah blah blah, all that? Like, how does anybody really know what's going to happen 
you know, um, I posted uh, I posted on our website today um, something quite sad. Actually, um, we stayed with a with a couple when we were in Mexico. We'd been in Mexico like almost five and a half months. We were just about to leave the country, and we stayed with a. Um, there's an equivalent to uh, couch surfing for cyclists. It's called warm showers. Um, it's for people that take you into their home when you're on a cycle tour. And we stayed with this couple that we'd never met before, uh, Martin and Karina. Um, and just I just found out like a, a week or two ago that uh, Karina passed away. Um, just just suddenly, um, and that was that was shocking for me. But it's it's not the first time that we've we've had good friends who are young and healthy and they pass away um suddenly um so how does anybody really know what are you going to do are you going to are you going to work in a factory until you're 65 and save all your pennies so that uh you can retire at that point um and then go and enjoy yourself well why not do it now you really who who really knows what's going to happen next year right. you just don't know i think um well, obviously, this is, uh, I mean, something that, that'll make people, uh, you give people those exact thoughts when, when someone you know suddenly dies, you know, that was, that was kind of the, the story of my trip as well, and, and which I wrote in, in my book about it, that my, my friend just passed away, just completely out of the blue, and, and I think maybe something like that kind of must happen to you before you really think about, like, taking some real risk in life and, and just... You know, as as you you guys do, just doing crazy things before because you never know when it's when it's too late, right? Yeah, I mean, I I can think of like half a dozen people right now who passed away suddenly at a far younger age than I am right now. So, what are you going to do? Are you going to are you going to how long are you going to wait before you start living? Um, you know, and and. How long are you going to live for? I mean, it's it's kind of our philosophy that we'll just figure it out and we'll make it happen as we get there. Um, we don't have a we don't have a pension. We don't have a a big bank account, but that doesn't that doesn't cause us to lose sleep. I mean, we'll we've made it we've made it work this far. We'll make it work in the future. All right, and I think uh, I think it's valuable probably for people to hear that that you've actually kind of you pulled it off at least this far. Um, without following like kind of the the standard cubicle job kind of safety net route in life right yeah and I, and and certainly that's not to that's not to put down the people that um that do have good careers and are and, and are enjoying themselves um it's not you know I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say hey go quit your job tomorrow and and go ride a bike around the world even though that might be a very fantastic thing for you to do um, that's a decision that, you know, you'd have to make for yourself. Right. Um, but you know, the future is not guaranteed for anybody. Um, no matter what path you take, if you want to take the more mainstream approach, um, it's, it's no more, it's no more guaranteed than for somebody who's kind of living day to day. Right. And I'm thinking, I, I completely agree that, um, I mean, I, Again, not to say anything bad about people having like career jobs and stuff, 
um, because I'm sure a lot of people enjoy that. But I, I'm also sure there's a lot of people in, in that kind of situation that want to do or dream of doing what, what you you guys have been doing and, and is doing right now, um, but kind of not, doesn't know how to do it or, or if, if it's or maybe they're afraid because because, you know, you, you don't have that you live kind of with, with no like long term plans. Well, I mean, the big fear is the fear of change. And by by that, I mean that people who don't do things are afraid that if they do it, that things are going to end up worse off than what they are right now. It's like if I take a new job, what if I don't like it or what if I end up making less money? What if I fail at that compared to what I'm doing right now? Or, you know, what what if I sell my house and I move to this other place, but I, I don't like it as, as much as this house? That fear of change is what holds people back from doing everything. What if I, you know, I'm not I'm not happy in my relationship, so maybe I should break up with this person. But what if I'm less happy? So maybe I'll just I'll just stay with them, even though I'm not really happy, because maybe I'll be less happy if I leave them. That that fear of change, you know, that's really the the thing that holds people back from doing anything. So you just have to have faith that, hey, if you make a decision and it isn't quite what you like, well, then you make another decision. Right. You just keep keep changing until you get to be what you want because you know change is life. You have to you have to kind of embrace it. I think it's also something that you kind of need to practice. I mean, you you don't reach like your level of confidence in things are going to be okay without like I mean it, it's a it's a process, right? I mean, you have to you have to fail enough times so, you, so you're comfortable failing. And that you know that, okay, it's actually going to be all right. Yeah, I would agree. Or have you always been like this or? No, no, absolutely not. Um, and, you know, I, I would credit, um, I would credit my martial arts background in helping that. You know, when I was a kid, you know, I started doing karate, I think when I was 13, I, I, I would never have, have called myself, uh, a confident kid and I definitely wasn't athletic. So any, any confidence that I have, um, and athleticism as, as small as that might be is solely through, you know, decades of martial arts training and running my own business. So that's the same thing. I mean, I, I had a, I had some pretty good mentors. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I failed in a lot of things. Um, but you know, if you, it's just, you know, like you said, it's, it's kind of like practice. You know, you, you may not do it intentionally, but every time that you overcome a stumbling block, it, it, it boosts you into knowing that, you know, hey, if I, if I run into some trouble in the future, I'll, I'll be able to land on my feet. Right. There's, I don't know where I've heard the, the saying that, like, the key to success is to keep failing until you accidentally don't fail anymore. I think that that really struck home with me because it's it's totally true. You you need to be comfortable in in failing, and uh, it's practice. You know, you got you got to do it a lot. Yeah, I mean, very few people, um, you know, hit uh, hit oil the first time they drill a hole. I mean, right. some people some people do. I mean, they, you know, I I don't know, but I, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, most of the successful people, however you define that word. Um, have uh, have quite a few failures uh, behind them. I think there's like I read some statistics. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's like 
uh, the average billionaire has has been bankrupt like 3.75 times or something like that. And that tells you like you, I mean, it pretty much just confirms the same thing. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm still, I'm still, I, I haven't, that's a problem. I haven't been bankrupt yet. So that's why I'm not a billionaire. <laughs> You've been close. close Maybe I need, a, a I need to. I need to. I need to speed up that bankruptcy uh, bankruptcy process. <laughs> you need to be comfortable bank, being bankrupt, Mike. I know. I, I haven't. I haven't quite got that yet. Are you gonna ever train jujitsu again? You know, uh, I have somebody sending back our our jujitsu gis. Uh, we left our jujitsu gis with our friends in uh, Saint Martin. I think they actually put it in the put it in the post to send them back to us. And we've definitely we've done some recon on the on the jujitsu gyms that are in our area, so um, we sure hope so. Is it uh is it Melissa in Saint Martin? She's got a gym there. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, we left uh, we left our uh, jujitsu gis with um, uh, with her and her brother David um, with the idea that they would uh, use them for any visitors that they had. But I'm pretty sure that uh, David just sent them back to us. We were, we spoke about it about a week ago. All right. Oh, that's funny. Small world. She's, um, she, she's in San Bart for all the camps we do here. So I know quite well. Yeah. That doesn't surprise me. Anyway. Um, so, so you wrote a blog about this whole thing, right? Like from pretty much from day one, is it, is everything still online? Like, can you still go through the archives and, and find the the very first post about yeah there's uh, probably close to 3000 posts online right now um, it's 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 massive yeah you you have to you have to use the search bar or if uh, if you have a few weeks of uh, of <laughs> maybe you're in the hosp- hospital bed or something and you have and you can't move and you want to just uh, do some reading then you could start at the beginning and wade your way through uh, believe it or not the, <clears throat> some people still do uh, I mean, most of it is most of it is sailing related. I mean, they're for people who have the idea that they want to uh, buy a sailboat and go go cruising, but they don't really know what they're doing, and they want to figure out how somebody else has done it. Well, that's kind of all documented. The highs and the lows are there. Um, we also did write about our our cycling trip, um, so there's a fair amount of detail for the route that we took from California to Costa Rica. Um, and uh, as I said, I posted today. I posted today about our our friends that we we met in uh, Mexico and kind of that sad turn of events with um, with one of them passing away. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't write on it like I used to. Uh, when I was on the boat, I, I think I posted every day. In fact, if I if I didn't if I didn't post every day, um, I would have people emailing us to find out if we were okay. <laughs> They thought that we our, our boat we had been abducted by pirates or we crashed our boat or something. Um, we uh, my schedule has fallen off, so people don't uh, don't worry about us quite so much anymore. Right. Well, uh, so the the site is zero to cruising dot com, right? Yeah, all spelled out. Yeah, I'll put I'll, I'll put I'll put the link on the on the the podcast notes. It's easy, I think. Perfect. I I would say um. I mean, I think we we kind of do, or at least approach life kind of similarly. I, I, I think you also kind of live a kind of a project based life. Like I, I also have to kind of do projects all the time to keep me going, or like something I can try to accomplish. And and I, I think one thing you mentioned a little bit earlier that I I didn't catch uh, catch up on was, um, as you said, like when you, when you try to do something completely new that you know nothing about, you you think like. Oh, you—you're probably the only one, or 
something doing it, and then you realize, oh, oh, damn, there's like a lot of people actually doing this, right? Like you said, with the with the sailing, you thought it was kind of a a rare thing, and the same with the with the bicycle project, right? Yeah, uh, you know, like a lot of these things, they're they're small communities, and um, when you're when you're on the outside, um, yeah, you might think it's it's a uh, it's a super rare thing, uh, but there are people doing cool things all over the world. So you know, and I guess you could extrapolate on that and and just imagine, well, what are all the other cool things that people are doing um, that you know nothing about? Right. I mean. You know, it's kind of it's kind of endless, really. And I think I, I've I've experienced this a lot, and I also talk to people about it. That like, especially if I mean, when you live your life, it's the world is so vast that it's impossible to kind of comprehend everything that's going on, and 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 you kind of imagine your world as being the the little bubble you live in, be it like having I don't know a desk job as I did, or you know whatever you do and then you can't imagine that someone would be that it's normal for some people to ride a bicycle from Alaska to southern Argentina um but it is for some people and and the same even if um I was thinking about when I was backpacking when I was like when I was young 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 when I did the very first trips and I was like damn I could I could I was like backpacking in Thailand or something I was like this is this is something really like crazy to do I mean I'm just gonna just wear a backpack and travel around <laughs> and then you get there and you realize oh there are like thousands of people who are doing this and for years like non-stop and and uh and even maybe you you, you kind of i don't know at least for me you know you have a, a regular job and and you think okay this is this is probably what i have to do to to make a living and, and to make this life work and and you imagine now oh, maybe someone is like could i maybe you know work on the road or you know just travel and, and work online but it's, it seems like it'll be such a rare thing it's so difficult to do and you realize uh i mean there are like thousands and thousands of people who travel like permanently and just work on on their laptops and it's, it's totally doable and and the moment you kind of kind of tap into that those communities you realize oh this is people actually done this and i think that goes for, for a lot of things and, and i talk to a lot of people who've who've been surprised like that um that they they suddenly you know they open one little one little door and and on the other side there's a completely different world of i don't know people who are living on sailboats or riding bicycles or even just working online and traveling and and i think there there are a lot of communities like this that you can you can find if you look for it i mean if there's something you i don't know you dream of doing then social media is great right as you say the, you you quickly kind of get into that that network of people who are doing what a little niche kind of uh, activity. Huh? Yeah, I mean, when we when we first came up with the idea that we were going to do the sailing thing, you know, we did what everybody else does today. We, you know, we Googled it. Who, you know, uh, I don't even remember what, probably what we searched, but we found um, a few blogs of people who had done it, who'd done it. And now at, at that time, when we first did it, um, there wasn't as you know, there was still there was lots of people sailing, but the blogging thing wasn't quite there. There wasn't that many people who were posting online. Now everybody has a blog, right? So uh, it's a lot easier to uh, to find that information. I mean, that's that's the great thing about the internet. You know, I I had to do a I had to do a repair job today on uh, something something mundane, but I just didn't know how it worked. 
So what did I do? I went on, I went on YouTube, did one little search, boom, showed me how to do it. I went, fixed it, bang. Anything right. you want to do, you can find it on the internet. So <laughs> that's right. There's actually another uh, example. I just I just remember it was um, we do like a kind of an annual sponsorship of people who travel what you just do. Um, we just send them some gear and help them a bit along the way. Um, and I, I made a post about like, uh, hey, if you travel for jiu-jitsu and um, um, maybe we can sponsor you some gear and stuff. Um, here, the requirements were fairly basic. It's more like uh, you travel to, uh, you do like an extensive trip this year that's at least like a few months long. And uh, you go through several different countries. And I remember one of the comments on Reddit was like, like some guy who said something like, like who on earth? can take several months off just to travel and do jiu-jitsu. And, uh, and I, I told him, you, you'd be surprised. Is, uh, this, uh, I literally got like more than 120 applications from people who are planning to do like super long trips. And, um, and then again, it's, it's kind of the same that, that you, you think something doesn't exist. And I mean, the world is a big place. And suddenly you realize, oh, there's a huge community of people doing exactly that this and, and way more than you think but maybe because you you kind of um, imagine that the whole world functions like uh, or follows kind of the the railroad tracks of uh, of your own little bubble which is definitely not the case yeah 100 percent. yeah i totally agree right mike i'm it's getting late and i'm getting tired and i'm getting really philosophical philosophically tired <laughs> <laughs> so maybe it's time for me to get some sleep anyway I, um i think it's been really interesting to follow you guys uh doing all these things even uh, from the sideline uh more or less active on on the blog throughout the years but as you say you posted every single day for years and years so it's like a lot to read but i think for me it's it's been kind of a a good inspiration for to see that that you know that you could definitely change up your life and do something completely different and i mean I, I'm trying to do the same all the time, and and it's nice to kind of, you know, to follow someone who who's doing it and and seeing oh this is actually possible. You don't immediately drown or get shot or die or something just because you have these these crazy ideas for what you want to do. So, so 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 you guys have definitely been a a big inspiration for me, and also kind of uh, taking me in and inviting me as a twenty year old. Uh, shy Danish guy who'd never really traveled on his own before um, so there was a, it's been a big inspiration for everything I do today really so that's why I, I immediately put you on the list for when I got the idea for the podcast that I wanted to talk to you guys and spend a little bit more time about uh, hearing uh, details of what you have been doing well it's been it's been super great actually just kind of reconnecting with you too I mean we we follow we follow you obviously through our social media stuff, even though we uh, we may not uh, you know talk like this uh, on a regular basis. I mean, since since that time that uh, we probably last saw you in person, I mean, you've done some pretty fantastic things, lots of uh, lots of growth. So um, you know we're we're happy to call you a friend, and and you know we're we're super impressed with everything that you've done. Well, I can only say the same. Um, so I hope, um, I'll get to, um, I'll get to visit you guys one day in, in your new place there before you leave it or something. I, I, I'm not sure I want to visit you on a bicycle in the jungle or something, but, uh, whatever you come up with next. Well, you, you, uh, you definitely have an open invitation to come and visit us here in, uh, British Columbia. You'd love it. The, 
the lakes and the mountains uh, are uh, pretty good. And there's a uh, it's a uh, it's just yeah, it's not like the jungles of Central America. That's <laughs> is it a place that people can, come, can can people come visit or stay there, or how does it work? Um, the place where we're working is actually not um, a place where people can come and visit. I mean, we have we have uh, lots of uh, friends who are are planning on coming to visit, but the the place where we're working is actually a a, a private resort that's all owned um, and occupied by the members. Right. So you know, our job is to kind of look after the resort and and make sure that um, you know the day to day operations. Uh, uh, Go, but it, it's not a it's not a campground. However, there are lots of places in the area where people can come and stay, um, and then definitely we could uh, we could get together. Are you uh, are you gonna get a few mats up there, and people can come visit you, so you guys can start training again? Because uh, I think you should start training a little bit. Uh, I think we should too. You know, there, there is a gym here. There's a a weightlifting gym as part of the resort, and right. uh, Rebecca's there. Uh, doing her best uh, Jocko imitation. She's there like at five o'clock in the morning every day, um, sweating. So, um, maybe I, maybe I need to get up there with some mats and kind of follow suit with her. Right. If you do, I'll, I'll make sure to post about it in the club charters community and say that people should go there for a little trip. Well, there's, there is some jujitsu places, uh, not too far from us. So, yeah, but you're the star we're hoping- now, Mike, you're the star up there. The <laughs> yeah. Uh, the star, the star with uh, white belt skills. So, uh, we, we, I need to uh, brush up on that. But a great drunken, drunken flying triangle. <laughs> right. That's it. That's what I need. Is more margaritas. Let's let's wrap it up with that. And uh, it was a pleasure to talk to you again. And um, say hi to Rebecca for me. It's been I don't know more than ten. No, not ten years. A long time since I saw you guys last. Well, we'll uh, we'll keep in touch. Uh, thanks very much for. Uh, for having us on your podcast, Christian. Pleasure was all my mic. I'll follow your blog, and uh, if you don't write one day, I'll, I'll call you and uh, see if everything is okay. <laughs> I appreciate that. Have a great night. Same Talk to you, Mike. Bye-bye. Okay, back in the basement, and it's uh, really one big mess today. I'm leaving for, uh, for Europe in three days, and I didn't pack anything, and... Um, I try to sort everything in my basement uh, because um, I need to clean it out uh, completely because there's going to be some renovation work while I'm gone. Um, but it's not going very well. So, um, yeah, it's I'm just sitting here uh, in between piles of, of stuff. Um, anyway, uh, I'm heading to Europe in a few days uh, and it's going to be a long summer there. Uh, we're doing the summer camp in Belgium in a week and a half, and uh, then I'll be back in Denmark for a few days before going to Greenland for a weekend camp, and then uh, directly on to Iceland for a week there. Uh, back to Denmark for something like a week or a week and a half, and then off to um, off to Germany for the fall camp. So I'm going to be pretty busy, and uh, I was planning to head back to St. Bart's after that, but uh, since there's going to be unexpected renovation work on my apartment... I'm going to have to travel Europe for a little bit longer, um, maybe one month, maybe two months. Uh, I don't know, which is uh, a little bit annoying, but it's also not the worst thing that you're forced to do. Just go traveling for a few months. Um, I posted in the members of BGGA Club Charters group if anyone wanted to invite me um, for two, three, four weeks during September, and uh, I would come and teach for free in the gym. Um, I got a lot of... Um, 
a lot of uh, emails about that and uh, I got to sit down and go through it. I think I won't have time uh, to do that before I'm in the plane or something. But um, if you're out there, if you're somewhere in Europe and uh, you live somewhere interesting and you'd like to in uh, invite me um, to come and teach for a week or two or maybe a month, um, shoot me an email on mail at btjglobetrotters.com and I'll, I'll take a look at it. I'll find a place to stay myself and I can take care of myself, but I just thought I would try to connect with some uh, Globetrotters academies around Europe and see if anyone can use some help. It's a free public service for the members of the BGA Globetrotters community. And for the Life Coach Corner question of the day um, that popped up on the Facebook group, any plans to extend the brand further afield to Asia? And um, what are your main goal countries to expand to in the coming years? Uh, these are questions I get a lot. And um, I always kind of give the same answer. I don't, I don't have any plans for the camps, really. I don't sit and look at a, at a map of the world and, and think about kind of where there would be potential for making a camp. Um, that I, I approach it the completely other way around where um, if I want to, if there's a place I want to go myself, um, I'll see if maybe I can set up a camp there. I need mats to be there already, otherwise it's way too complicated. But the way I approach the camps is really, um, I have to be, I think the camps only work if I'm really passionate about going. If I don't want to go, then I'm not like, I'm not putting all the all my passion into uh, experience, uh, designing the experience there and it's not going to work. Um, so the camps are really approached as, as being my holidays. I, I just kind of design my own dream holiday and then invite as many friends along as uh, who wants to join. So sometimes like two or three hundred people want to join, sometimes it's 50. And uh, even if like five people wanted to go uh, for a camp, I would still go and or even if nobody wanted to go, I would go and just kind of hang out myself and do all the fun stuff. So the way I, I kind of approach um, expanding, so to say, or, or kind of looking for new places is just kind of, it's just what randomly pops up for me. And if, if, if a place kind of pops up uh, in my life, that someone tells me about a place and I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I'd love to go there, then uh, that might get get on the research list. But, but, um, but I'm not sitting around here in my basement looking uh, at the map and thinking, hmm, Asia, we don't do anything in Asia, we should do that. And then kind of, I don't, I don't even know where to start, Google, <laughs> I don't know, large map spaces in Asia or something. Um, th that's not how it works. The, the same for like the US West Coast, people ask me all the time, but unless I, f I find some kind of excuse uh, for me really wanting to go there, uh, there's not going to be a camp. So uh, right now I'm going to the US probably twice a year and that's kind of plenty for me. I'm not like super, uh, I, I don't really feel like going there three times a year and because there are other places I want to spend my time in visiting. So, so yeah, um, I have no plans to extend um, the camps to Asia unless there is uh, some amazing place in Asia that pops up that I really want to go to. Uh, it's also really far from the Caribbean, like really, really far. Uh, so that also kind of plays in that if, if I have to go there, I would need to spend a few days on uh, on traveling alone. Um, my friend from here, he just went to kind of a surf camp in Indonesia and he said he took seven, seven flights to get there. It was like 36 hours to get there. Um, I'm not sure I want to do that for a camp. So, and I have so many good ideas already. I mean, the list, the research list every year is more than 50, 50 locations that I kind of look into and try to set up. 
and usually boil it down to like eight or ten during the year. So, so there there's plenty to go around. It's not like uh, it's not like I'm 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 lacking ideas for camps. Um, so whenever whenever this this summer trip is over and I'm back here um, in my little office, I'm gonna sit down and go through that list of currently 58 uh, possible locations for next year. And also, you have to consider that to to do a new camp, I would have to cancel another one. Uh, there's a limit to how many trips I can do a year, and I can't do like uh, 25 camps a year. It's impossible. So, and that's the other problem that every camp I do, I love it so much, I want to go back. So it's really difficult to for me to to stop doing a camp to do something new. But um, I'm gonna have to do it eventually. So that's the answer to that question. And um, if you have anything else you want me to take up here in the in the podcast and talk about or any questions, feel, feel free to shoot me an email on mail at bjjglobetartist.com and I'll be happy to answer it. Uh, I always reply to emails myself um, and usually within uh, a day or two. So this was the ninth episode of uh, the BJJ Globetrotters Pirate Radio Podcast. If you want to subscribe to it, just go to bjjglobetrotters.com slash podcast or look it up on your little uh, app. Or if you've got an iPhone, uh, the podcast app, it should be easy to find. Um, anything else you want to know about is BJJ Globetrotters, just go to bjjglobetrotters.com and everything should be there. If there's any questions, anything, anything you could use my help for or just want to talk about something uh, feel free to shoot me an email i'm always available and i'm always happy to uh, to answer any questions or help out wherever i can okay i'm gonna start cleaning up my basement and um, find a suitcase for the big trip to europe in a few days uh, i'm looking forward to see a few of you in uh, belgium greenland iceland or germany doing that trip um, and uh, hopefully i can get through it without completely burning out from rolling with uh, 150 200 people every week but pretty excited about it and uh, looking forward to see some of you there and um, that's it have a nice day